You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo again here at uh, Metro Vision Studios, and we're continuing our study series. Um, we are the big pictures. We're in the Gospel of John. We're all the way up to chapter 17, but we've taken a time out in light of all the issues that are going on with the marches and the protests and some very, very important topics that we need to discuss. And, and, uh, uh, so we've taken a time out and we're doing a four part series on, uh, pride and prejudice, basically things that divide people. And, uh, this is class number three. And then, uh, we'll have one more class number four. And then, uh, we will get Michelle back here for her Friday devotional. And, uh, we're going to have another special workshop that's going to be really great. That'll be a Saturday morning workshop. It won't be, uh, 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 a morning devotional workshop. We'll get back to John after that because I'm really excited about finishing up John. We, we're getting to the heart of it, the cross, and that's fantastic. So, so much to learn there. So here we were, Pride and Prejudice. That's that's the topic uh, of this series. And again, I just want to say this: I I don't claim to be an expert on racism or or race or cultural. Or I have uh, I'm coming from my expertise is biblical expertise. And, uh, and I have had a number of courses on cross-cultural communication and, and things of that nature, sociology, uh, as well as my own personal experience growing up as a minority and a Hispanic. I do not claim to understand and know the African American experience, which I think is much more intense than just about anybody's save maybe the native Americans. But, uh, but a lot of this is common in the sense that uh, every minority group around the world goes through certain things. And I think this is the beginning of a dialogue, the beginning of understanding. I believe firmly that change begins with awareness. And awareness uh, brings on understanding, and that's what leads to change. And, and what I appreciate so much about so many brothers and sisters is their desire to understand, their desire to learn and to grow. And I appreciate you watching this. Even the fact that you're watching the third one says a lot about you that, that you really want to understand this and get this and, and help be part of the solution and not be part of the problem. And I appreciate that so very, very, very much. So, uh, we started out talking about the why and how this is so important to God to, in order for us to become one in his, uh, kingdom and to be one, operate one and practically as one, you know, and that's so different from the world, even even from the religious world, I would say, because uh, as we discussed last time, on Sunday morning is probably one of the times that most people are the most divided. Everybody goes to their white churches, black churches, brown churches, Asian churches, you know, whatever churches, even even break down even small to smaller groups as as the Korean church or the Chinese church or the the the, the Catholic church or whatever. We, we break into subgroups and subgroups of subgroups. Um, as, which is what our, what our, our, uh, tendency is, our human nature is. The great thing is we don't see that in the Bible. In the Bible, uh, the church was the church. And there are so many scriptures, which I've already read, uh, about us being one, us being one before the Lord. And I don't think in Jerusalem they had a, a Gentile church, a, a Jewish church, a Greek church. 
uh, a Hebraic church, a Roman church. They just had one church that met together. It didn't matter their background. They were one as God intended them to be. So um, so we, we talked about that. We talked about why it's wrong. We talked about the dangers of racism, how it hurts people. We were on second the second point of how it hurts the family of God. And uh, we were just about to get into uh, subconscious biases and unconscious biases. And these biases that were uh, really exposed in this uh, psychologist study uh, were using these black dolls and white dolls and showed how kids assume good and evil, right and wrong, better and bad and, and, and best and not good, basically from color, even kids of color assumed that white dolls were better and, and certainly that they were better off. And that the effect that that has on so many different levels and the many different messages that, that people of color uh, grow up in. And, you know, and, and everybody has challenges. There's no race. There's no group without challenges. But life is challenging enough. And if you throw on top of regular life challenges, all these racial and cultural challenges, it can be incredibly overwhelming. And and uh, it and in times where racism was openly, openly practiced, uh, you know, where you had different colored door or different doors for colored for white or or lynchings and things like that that happened because of color because of nationality. Um, that's devastating. It's just devastating to people, and you have to be in it to really understand it. You know, I think about even the last few years, how the whole country has been horrified by by people going into a church and shooting people while they were praying because of the color of their skin or because they're Jewish or because they're Muslim or because whatever reason. And there are no good reasons. It's just absolutely outrageous and unacceptable. And the truth is, over the years, racism has has become much more hidden, and and what is commonly run into is the biases, the the unconscious bias, the subconscious bias, and and how that still is props up a systemic effect, a systemic um, uh, approach to racism, where it's not as obvious. You know, I, I I remember when Michelle and I lived in New Jersey. And we would drive out to West Jersey to go visit a couple for our staff meetings and for our uh, planning times together. And, you know, if you know Jersey, the metro area across the, from Manhattan is mostly people of color, African-American, Hispanic. West Jersey is mostly Caucasian. And when we would drive out there, it happened again and again and again, we would see the classic scenario of a white cop pulling over a black man. And first time, nothing. Didn't even notice it. Second time, hmm. Third time, wait a second. Seventh, eighth time, we really began to wonder, all right, what, what, what's happening here? Is this something on purpose? And I remember asking a brother in the church who was a state trooper. I said, is there, is there some kind of systematic approach to this? And he said, yeah, I'm afraid so. And he was not a person of color. 
He was Caucasian, but he said, yeah, mm -hmm, it's there. There's no doubt about it. And and I remember just being shocked by that, that, that being so openly acknowledged. And then a couple, it wasn't even a year later, it was shortly later, it came out on the news and all this stuff about New Jersey uh, state troopers systematically targeting African-American men. And basically the idea was to keep them out of West Jersey. And that if they drive, if they get pulled over all the time, the chances of getting pulled over a lot, they won't come. And, and the thing that's hard is for years, people of color saying, see, I told you. And other people thought, well, you're just being paranoid. Well, then they're proven right. And it's true. And sometimes it's hard to know. It's really honestly hard to know. This is a class about understanding, right? So, so I'm trying to help with the understanding and that's, that's why the scientific studies that's but that's also why the the stories the the anecdotal uh stories to help us just understand the difference and what happens i was at the lowe's the other day and we live in california you know there's a large hispanic population most of which comes from poverty most of which are poor uh most of the hispanic community is not highly educated and they're not Professionals. There are many professionals, many, many professionals, but not the most, not the majority, especially the majority of the Spanish speaking ones, um, who recently come from Mexico. So I go into Lowe's and it's a Saturday. I'm wearing old jeans that I've been working, that have a hole in them and an old t-shirt because I'm working on the yard. And I go in and there's a guy there working. He's an old guy. Looks like he's retired. He's not. He's got a Lowe's apron on. And I go to approach him and ask him something. And I did realize he was on the phone. And he turns around and he barks at me. I mean, just really rude. He says, can't you see I'm on the phone? I'll, I'll help you when I can. And, you know, I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and I felt really bad. I didn't realize I was interrupting him. So I stepped back. And he's talking on the phone. He's talking on the phone. I So I give him some space. I pull back. I'm starting to look at some tools. And this other older Caucasian guy walks up to him, does the exact same thing, starts talking to him. He turns around, he's got the phone in his hand, and he says to him, sir, I'm sorry, I'm on the phone right now. I will help you as soon as I can. And I think, wait a second, how come I didn't get that response? And then he gets off the phone, and I'm standing there, that guy's standing there. He immediately turns around and starts talking to that guy. How can I help you? So what was that? Was it racism? I'm looking like a gardener. Was it not racism? I, I don't know. I don't know. The cynical side of me says, oh, yeah. He looked at me, thought, poor, uneducated Mexican dude, interrupting me. And the other guy was his equal. Or I could think, nope, he was just mad. And then he realized that he was being rude and repented and was nice to the next guy. Could have been that, too. But you just don't know. You just don't know. I was at uh, Pepperdine. I was going to get my son a Pepperdine soccer shirt. And I'm getting my, I, was, I wasn't done with my master's degree. So I go in the bookstore to get him a Pepperdine soccer shirt. And I'm looking around and I can't find one that's right. And I, and I thought, well, maybe I'll get my daughter's one. And I go to get my daughter one. And I noticed this guy following me. And he's like, not right behind me, but he's close. I, I can tell he's watching me. It's an older gentleman, Caucasian. And and I I walk over to the soccer and I'm looking at the shirts. And he walks up to me 
And he says, can I help you with something? And I said, oh, no, no, I'm just shopping. And he says, um, can I ask you what you're doing here? <laughs> and I, at first I was stunned by the question. What do you mean what I'm doing here? I'm shopping. And he says, um, do, do you have a reason to be here? And I said, I'm a graduate student and I'm getting a t-shirt for my son. And he goes, oh, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he leaves. And I thought, what was he thinking? Why would he do that? Well, I'm a Mexican guy. Every other Mexican person around there is either in the kitchen working or outside in the, in the yard. That's that subconscious or unconscious bias that says to people, you are less, you are not as valuable, you don't mean much. Why are you, you don't belong here. And, and, it, and, and you can shake it off once, twice, five times, 20 times. And it can be a lot worse for African-Americans. And the hostility. I mean, it was funny. Even just this morning, we went out for a walk. I was telling Michelle, I don't, I don't like walking in my neighborhood by myself. I, I always take my dog because I know I'll scare people. They'll wonder, what is he doing out there? And sometimes I leave really early. It's still dark. Not dark, but it's darker. Or in the evening when it is dark. No way. I either have to have my dog so they know that I'm walking my dog or Michelle with me. And I know, I mean, I even feel if I see, you know, a white guy walk by, I don't think anything of it. But that's how, that's, that's, that's our conditioning. That's that sub or unconscious bias that we have. And we all have it. And to say that we don't is to be deceived. We all do. It's a prejudice that, that, that we pick up along the way. We're sponges. We soak it up from culture, from society, from movies, from stereotypes. You see some guy walk in with dreads and baggy pants and a and a hat flipped backwards or to the side or something. We think, uh-oh, trouble. The guy could be anything. He'd be highly educated, most loving person you've ever met. But the clothes tells us otherwise. And that's this bias that's built in. And we just have to be aware of it and to be able to override it and love everybody. The unconscious bias, it's prejudice, it's discrimination, it's racism, it's sexism. And it doesn't just go race because it can happen with women too. There's the classic story, classic story. It's a terrible car accident. And this young man is wheeled into the emergency operating room. They set it up and they, and they, the surgeon walks in and says, what's the story here? And the nurse says, young man and his father in a car accident. And the father died in the accident. The young man's about to die. And she scrubs. She walks up to the table and says, the, the, um, excuse me, the, 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 the nurse gets re everything ready. She scrubs. She prepares the table, calls the surgeon in. The surgeon walks up and looks and says, I can't operate on this kid. This is my son. How could that be? Now, you've been around, you've heard that story before. How could it be? The father died. People say, well, was it his stepdad? No. Who could it be? And I love asking groups this because it usually takes a while. The older the group, the less likely they're even going to get it. The younger groups get it pretty fast. Oh, the surgeon was his mom. 
That's a subconscious bias. We didn't think of that. Oh, that's right. I guess a woman could be a surgeon. We don't think of that. We think it's got to be a man. We probably even picture an older white guy, you know, that that's what the surgeon was. How could he have two dads? No, his mom was the surgeon. But it, it, it's it's how our bias works. It's all in there happening. And it's just important to know that. And the stronger that bias, the more damaging it is, the more hurtful it is. It makes a difference. This is why when a leader says that Mexicans are rapists and drug dealers, why some people laugh and, ah, he didn't mean that about all of you. He just meant that about some. But when you're from that background and you have people look at you and wonder about you, it's very hurtful. And it's very damaging. Because you now have to prove that you're not. That you're not a rapist. That you're not a drug dealer. My son, who grew up in the church, and is even lighter skinned, he, he's got Michelle's complexion. I mean, if you look at him carefully, you can tell he's Hispanic, but he's easy to think he's Caucasian. Was asked in a bunch of teens sitting around a circle, and the, the leader of the circle asked him, well, you're Hispanic. What's it like growing around drugs and broken homes? Totally serious. Not knowing that that's my son or not realizing that my son wouldn't didn't grow up like that. He didn't broke up in a broken home with dad gone and parents doing drugs. But that person and that person, I don't even think that person was aware of how bad that question was. The other kids were, they were all like, oh my gosh, they were all shocked. But the older person asking had no idea how insulted, well, I think, I hope they have no idea how insulted. And they also went on to say, what's your GPA? When he told them, they were shocked. Wow, you have good grades. That's that's amazing. Why was that amazing? Because he's Hispanic? That's the kind of thing that it puts a burden on somebody or because they're African-American or because they're, they're you know, I mean, once upon a time it was because you're Italian. Because, I mean, people didn't want Kennedy to be president because he was Irish and Catholic. More important because he was Catholic. In a country that was built wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. So these things, they, 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 they're swirling around under the surface. And it's, and it's easy for somebody to just ignore it and not think it's real or, ah, you're paranoid. What's the big deal? It's not the same. We don't have the laws. They don't get lynched anymore. Nobody's going to beat you because of your color of your skin. But there's a world of things going on under the table. And once in a while, it rears its ugly head above the table like a George Floyd situation or like an Ahmad situation. And when it happens again and again and again and again, then you begin to understand why are people so angry? You know, the thing about kneeling before games, and it's a classic, classic challenge to, to any group, any country, because some see that as just a complete affront to the United States, to the flag, and 
So many people died for that flag. And that and that's understandable. We don't want to disrespect the flag. But others see it as an expression of the hurt that people have felt for so long. And there's such a division in that itself. And if you don't have that hurt, you don't understand. And I'm not, I'm not saying right or wrong of how something is expressed, but we as God's people have to be good listeners and ask why is something happening? What is causing this anger? And it goes always. I think sometimes even as a minority, especially before I became a Christian, because honestly, the Bible helps me so much to just balance out and to see things clear. But before I became a Christian, I was self-righteous about being a minority. And I would look down on Caucasians because they didn't understand, because they were ignorant and they didn't care to understand. And to me, that made them the bad guys. They hurt people and they don't care. And they don't even want to hear about your hurt. And they just don't care and they write you off. And I realized very quickly that I'm just being self-righteous. And I'm not being any solution. I'm being part of the problem. I'm, I'm practicing the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that doesn't help anybody. Or as Gandhi said, the whole world goes blind. How do we solve this? Well, again, Jesus is the answer. Because he loved everybody. And he cared about everybody. And the, 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 you know, my verse of the last two weeks has been John eleven thirty four. 34. Jesus wept. Because it shows you how much he cared when others suffer. And I care. I, I you know, I care about, obviously about our African-American brothers and what they the suffering, the horrible suffering they've gone through. And I understand, makes me understand why there's so much anger. Not that I condone looting or anything like that, but I get anger and frustration. I also care about my Caucasian brothers and sisters. I don't want them to feel like people are stoning them for things other people did, but I also want them to understand how important it is to understand and to see it from a different perspective. And that understand what is white privilege. And this isn't something people ask for, but it, you got it if you're Caucasian. The same stores that I would go to and was being treated in Jersey, I didn't like going to the store because the way people treated me in the neighborhood we moved into. And it just so happens one day Michelle comes in, she says, I love that store. They're so nice. And I said, Man, that's weird because they are not nice to me at all. Every time I go in there, I, they look at me like I'm a shoplifter or something. And she was like, that's really weird. And it wasn't until we went together, and I wasn't even thinking about it, honestly. And afterwards, she said, I see what you mean, the way they look at you. And, and her wanting to understand what it was like for me to go to the store meant a lot to me. It expressed loved, expressed she loved me. And she wanted to understand that. To understand what it is to have this. Also to understand that it can be scary when you're Caucasian and you're trying to express your heart 
but you don't want to insult anybody. You want to hurt anybody. You want to say things right. And, and it's just scary to say anything. It's easier. Just don't say anything. But again, love pushes us forward. You know, the world, it's an interesting thing because globally, Caucasians are a minority numerically, right? There's, there's more of other races and, you know, in the U.S., clearly Caucasians are the majority. Globally, they're not. But because of the time in history that we live, they are the, in a sense, the, the majority socially. Doesn't matter what country you go to. You can go to Cambodia, you can go to Nigeria, you can go to Spain, you can go to Uruguay. And the whiter you are, the better you're going to be treated. It's just a fact. I travel all over the world and I'm aware of it. And I'm not walking around paranoid. I'm, I'm fine. But I notice it and you see it. And if you're a traveler, you know what I mean. You're going to be treated differently. There's a, there's a classic Saturday Night Live where, where Eddie Murphy gets all, you know, painted up and everything like a white guy. And he's like, I want to be white for a day. See what it's like. And he walks in the bank and they're like, Hey, do you need some money? We don't need you to sign anything here. Take some money and you want a car here? Go ahead. Take the car. It's hilarious. And it's an extreme of the point that life is different. And you're treated different. But not just in the United States. All over the world, it's different. And I had a friend of mine say, I'm, well, I know what it's like being a minority because I was in Africa and I was the only white guy in the whole place. I said, no, 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 you don't know. You know what it's like being a minority numerically. But socially, I guarantee you, everybody puts you automatically on the top of the social ladder. I showed up at a meeting in Cambodia one time wearing a, a, a coat, a sports coat, dressed up. And the other brother, Caucasian, showed up in a, a, a casual, like, like casual shirt, polo shirt and shorts. He said, why are you so dressed up? I said, because if I don't dress up, somebody's going to hand me a broom. That's just because I'm brown. It's, it's preconceived notion. And that's in a country of brown people. It's just, it's the bias that we all have. And it doesn't affect you. Yeah, it affects you. Even a good-hearted person. I'm, I am so amazed by the hearts in our region. By their love, by their forgiveness. And even people who this week has been, it's been really hard for them. African-American brothers and sisters who've been here a long time. Who suffered very blatant, not subconscious and unconscious racism, but very blatant, explicit racism. And it's brought up a lot these last week, few weeks. And they're, and they are being so godly about it. They're being so spiritual and they're trying to be sensitive. And I, 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 they move me to tears. They inspire me because they're rising above it. A lot of pain, a lot of hurt. That's why this Sunday's message was, the great physician because he heals and he brings us together to be one our world has a long history of evil even the word slave you know the word slave is comes from slavic people because the hungarians the greeks other groups enslaved them 
And, you know, the reason that Caucasians are the top of the social ladder is because for the last several hundred years, the British Empire, United States, were the dominant cultures around the world. And you go back a thousand years, it was the Italians, the Roman culture. That was the dominant culture. And those are olive-skinned, dark-haired people who were enslaving the Germanic people. And they were the top of the social ladder. And you go back a thousand years before that, it was the Persians, it was the Babylonians. And you go a thousand years before that, it was the Egyptians. And they were the dominant people of the world. And unfortunately, because we're all sinful, we do this to one another. We hurt each other. And we do damage. Even when you make it illegal, it's the culture. It's the unconscious, the subconscious biases that are there. And those are hurtful. And they do have their damage. And there's, it's well documented in many research projects. I'm hoping and praying that this time period brings about a real change like we've never never seen before in the world. The fact that people are marching all over the world about this, I, I hope and I believe that it's raised a global awareness and it'll really make us think about how we treat each other. And every country has their minorities. And every group of minorities goes through similar things. And I hope that we can learn to truly love and respect. And I, I, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm very cautious with the world. In the church, I think we can learn. And I think we will learn. And I think we are learning. We've been way ahead of where the world's at. And yet there's still things to learn and grow. And I think we can be the light of the world and we can be the example for the world. Last part of this class, we're going to do some, I think it's going to be some really cool stuff and in understanding the different needs and knowing the difference between racism, prejudice, ignorance, and bias. They just help us to eliminate it deep down so we can be totally unified and be the example and be the light of the world. So we'll stop there. It's class number three, one more to go. But thank you. For having the heart to listen, to learn, to grow, and to be your best for Jesus, to love everybody. God bless you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.